Thanks for joining me. I am Zolf and hello, welcome to this session. I've been working with somebody recently for a bit of extra promotional work, you could say, for my podcast. And I thought it would be nice to speak to him because he's got an interesting journey. Here's a quick preview of what's to come on today's show. Experimenting with the ideas, with the musical ideas of what something could be. And then Saturday Night Live and I, and I interviewed it both. I get reports that it's being performed in Canada. Can we succeed in the creative field? So my guest has over a decade of broadcast and stage experience. He has spent a few years as a digital writer and producer. He recently begun his own songwriting business. Today we'll be speaking about his journey and how creative field can be a very interesting area to get into. We're going to pick his brains about his journey and learn something that would help you if you're on your journey. And it's good to hear journeys. So let's find out more from Mike Hadge today. For yourself, I know you love it working for yourself because I love it too. Working for yourself, Zolf talks about it, making it easy for you. Working for yourself, go be your own boss. Working for yourself, Zolf will help you along. Working for yourself, powered by trusted creators, Zolftalks.com. Welcome to the show today, Mike Hadge. Hey, hi, I'm Mike Hadge. I am a longtime entertainment professional who has just started his own songwriting business. Where you started was the intern at The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. Is that kind of where you would say everything started from for your current creative field? About that time, yeah. I think I wanted to go to school in New York for sure. That was the goal in high school um, that I, I just knew that that's where the creative jobs were that was still remote to where i grew up and was sort of close to my family i grew up in boston so it was you know four hour drive and that's not a big deal and you know it's certainly different than where i live now which is la and um i knew that there were a lot of a lot of the, my favorite shows at the time operated out of there like it wasn't a large entertainment community but what was there was good uh snl daily show letterman Conan, like all these guys who I just worshipped. And so to get an internship at The Daily Show my junior year uh, was, yeah, that was my first kind of foray into actual how it all worked and and seeing how a production gets made and, and uh, getting to be around some really creative people and some, you know, legends at this point. I came on right at the time where Steve Colbert left to do the Colbert Rapport. So that meant I was running documents across the street to his place and then coming back to ours. And it was a murderer's row of uh, the correspondents and writers at that time. You had Ed Helms, you had Samantha Bee, you had Rob Corddry, you had all these guys who are just like now, you know, obviously have gone off and done their own thing. So I was just there as a general production intern but I got to see kind of, I got to sit in in the writers' meetings and I got to uh, just kind of see how every little aspect kind of came together and, and watch a lot of the live tapings. And the weirdest thing that might apply to where I ended up is I would intern in the audience department on certain days. And there was a whole spiel right off the bat that you had to give the audience coming in about the rules, what you could and couldn't do. 
and uh, they gave it to me and we're just kind of like, here are the, the guidelines, but you can kind of make it your own. So that was a good opportunity to kind of like throw in little jokes here and there, see what worked. You're basically workshopping material for a cr unsuspecting crowd who didn't come to see you tell jokes, but they're trapped. So, you know, it's all right. Uh, that so sounds, yeah, that, that, that sounds quite good. So you got quite lucky quite early on. Cause that's yeah. quite an amazing place to start off. Yeah. Uh, in terms of like your first, the first place you get a badge to enter, you know, you could do worse than the daily show in 2006. I, uh, you know, that's when they were in the middle of, all their Emmy streak, they were winning best, you know, talk variety every year. And, you know, that was the end of the Bush era, which is when they were pretty much at the height of their powers. Everything was just hitting and it was kind of pre-viral era, but that didn't matter because everyone was watching it and everyone would just, that was the prime, I get all my news from Jon Stewart era, you know, in America anyway. So yeah, that was really cool to be a part of that so if in some small way. During that time, would you have any other options? How did you end up going to that intern one? Would you have other ideas? Because currently our listeners, a lot of the times would have multiple things they're thinking about and they're not sure which one to pursue. So relating that back to you, at the time when you made that decision, what else were you thinking that you might have done? I knew I wanted to get an internship my, my junior year in something entertainment related. Okay. I think I applied at the Daily Show and then Saturday Night Live, and I and I interviewed at both, but I don't believe I was offered a position at Saturday Night Live, and I just was at the Daily Show. So that made the I, that made the answer pretty obvious. But I believe I only applied to the ones I really wanted, knowing that, um, you know, if I didn't get any of those, I would start. I would look for a next tier, you know, because I think I applied early. Like that's what I would say. Knowing what I, knowing the ultimate perfect scenarios for me helped kind of set up the map a little bit for the plan. And um, if that hadn't worked out, I would have been, I probably would have found, you know, there are plenty of production houses. There were plenty of news stations and other things that would have applied and taught me a lot that I would have been great at. And maybe they would have more directly led to a job than The Daily Show did. So um, what led you to have, what, sorry, what led you to go in the entertainment industry? So quite early on, it looks like you were adamant to sure. go into that, but how did you get to that point? Was it something you saw or what led you there? Well, this takes us a little bit back uh, a ways, but I, from, you know, age seven, I would say I knew I wanted to be the one to come up with ideas. I loved coming up with the ideas for things. I loved making people laugh in whatever way I could. And all through high school, I was, you know, I was doing plays. I was in a show choir, which is a thing where you dance and you sing at once. And it was very competitive at my school. So we had rigorous vocal training and rigorous dancing training. And we won our championships every year regionally, which was a weird thing to this day that I have to remember. And um, it's like a Manchurian candidate thing where I get triggered and then I can do a box step and a spin and like a perfect body roll, not perfect, but I can do a body roll. And uh, it's not something I've done in 20 years at this point or more, but all the arts were kind of just part of my day to day. But even um, aside from those organized groups, I would find excuses to kind of write things and, and make my own mark on different projects. Uh, whenever there would be a paper in, 
English class on a book, I would instead ask if I could do a, a you know a rock opera about the book instead of writing it. So I would just it started just doing parodies of existing works. You know, I would take a, a Kinks or a Pink Floyd song and rewrite the lyrics to apply to whatever the project was about. And um, those would always get A's because of their creative, you know, and uh, uh, approach and something different from what the teachers were normally getting. And so I was kind of like, okay, I, I like this. And if I can kind of, will this apply to normal life? Can I do this in my adult life? Um, and so that, when I started, you know, I, I grew up uh, some with some training on piano. I taught myself guitar when I was about 12. And um, I was such a, I got so into like music. I was such a Beatles fan and just all these old stones, like all these old bands and, and, really fascinated by their songwriting and I wanted to do it too. And, you know, that's a tall task. And, you know, you look at that kind of thing and you're like, well, I can never, I can never do something like that. I could never write a Hey Jude. I could never write a Gimme Shelter, but you start small. And um, in those little, uh, I mentioned the show choir, we would do little holiday shows for like the town and there were opportunities for the individual members to do little acts. And so one year I wrote my first song, my first original song, and asked if I could do it. It was very simple. It was a three chord thing. And I'm still doing three chord things anytime I can. But this was tr a true three chord wonder. Um, all about being a guy in show choir. It was called show choir guy. And it it killed it it read over really well because it was making fun of the exact thing people were there to see and it made fun of myself and all my fellow males in that group who could, were not good enough for sports and that was just their their means of uh after school activity and uh yeah it went it became kind of bigger than me and we hosted a festival that fall and all these groups who came from the uh, around the region saw it. I did it again. A, like a, a couple hundred people saw it. And the next thing I know, I get reports that it's being performed in Canada by some people who learned it. And <laughs> I gave no permission or anything, but I don't know. You know, I didn't care. I thought that was cool. So it's like, oh, man, I, I got a, I've, I've got like a little hit on my hands. And I've, you know, never saw any money from it, obviously. But it was a little bit of encouragement early on that what I was doing uh, could generate that kind of appeal and that it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just a hobby. Okay. Potentially. So looking back, do you think what you do now, do you love it? Yeah. Uh, I think that what's brought me up to the present day from that point is the pursuit of that. And when I get the opportunity through something like your podcast theme, uh, there's nothing I enjoy doing more. Experimenting with the ideas, with the musical ideas of what something could be. You gave me a lot of guidelines. You gave me exactly what you wanted. And I love solving those kind of puzzles. I like starting stuff from scratch too. But that, um, that kind of game of making something that someone wants with your own stamp on it is is something I've always really loved. Yeah. 
So looking over the options you've got now, do you think that you're reached where you want to be or do you have any further creative things that you're deciding on taking up? I, I would say not even close. I, uh, you said I've, you know, I've lived a lot of lives. I've had a lot of different paths and that's all been in pursuit of, of one thing. And that one thing has changed a few times, but you know, I started off wanting to be a writer. I mean, that was what interning at the daily show was. That was why I wanted to get into entertainment in the first place. And that's why uh, everything after that, and you know, I I had been a PA after that at different different shows. I just get any job in the entertainment industry that would get me around writing, and the whole reason I am even doing the songwriting to the extent I am these days is because of I kind of fell into it during my pursuit of TV writing and comedy writing. I had friends, and we'll get to this uh, a little bit more in depth later. Yeah, uh, I had friends who had their own show off Broadway when I was working. Uh, my first job out of college was at a page at Letterman, an audience page, where um, I met a lot of great friends who I still have to this day. And uh, one of the coworkers there had a uh, had just gotten a off off Broadway monthly show with his twin brother. And I went and saw it and their dynamic was fantastic and it was hilarious, but all their, and they could sing, like they could really sing, but all their songs were Broadway parodies. They were doing stuff from company and Sweeney Todd, I think with the lyrics rewritten and that worked. That was funny, but I felt like they could, they deserved a little bit more substantial material from a musical standpoint. And at that point, um, you know, I had written musicals in college they were very simple, with very simple songs. I had help writing the songs for those. But I got an idea for a song for them uh, and asked if they would listen to a pitch. And they said yes. I wrote it. I presented it to them. They loved it. They put it in their next show. And it went over really well. And so to me, it was like, huh, well, I, you know, while I'm working my day jobs to try to get even around the idea of writing, I'm like eight layers away from it, doing it myself. But here's an opportunity to do it where I could get material on stage and immediately get feedback from an audience. And I hadn't been focusing on songwriting at the time, but if this required songwriting, I was going to dive in. And so they had another show the next month. I wrote another song for that. It got in. The show after that was a Christmas show. I wrote them three songs. Those all got in. Those all went well. They had a show the next month. I did five songs. Those all got in. Those all went well. And so every show after that, I just, my mind exploded. And I said, hey, what ideas around this concept of these twins who host their own variety show that's kind of a modern vaudeville thing, what ideas do I have that will fit into that? Whether it's about twins directly or about something about their character or about something in the world that though they themselves would discuss or sing about. It just opened up this whole playground in my mind that forced me to improve my songwriting uh, in a very quick way. Mm. And I was still writing, you know, simple tunes, but they got a little bit more complex every time. And every time it would be a little bit more of a challenge to myself. 
of what I wanted to do. I was like, oh, I want to make this like a five part medley. I want to make this song, you know, a little bit more uh, of a old spiritual, an old choral spiritual. Like, let's see if I can tackle that. And um, the promise of it getting on stage was a carrot that was dangled that made me want to push myself to do those things. So having so that became kind of my weird thing as I was pursuing what I was actually pursuing in New York. So do you think someone and else who wants that. to enter into the creative field, you think it's an easy place to get to? Because looking at your journey, you're very passionate about it. So that's great. But it's quite a long journey to get to where you want to be. And there's, like you say, there can be different variations to reach the end goal. If someone new was trying Absolutely. to get into this area, do you th what would be your top tips for someone who wants to get into this industry of entertainment, songwriting, and that kind of area? Use everything at your disposal and don't do it alone. Don't suffer in silence and don't keep it to yourself. Uh, make it clear what you want. Make it clear um, that you uh, that you have these goals for yourself. To you know, most people in your life, especially those who have similar goals, and that's the thing. A lot of the people who I think will be after this are going to be around a lot of similar people, where it's through a class or just through their peers uh, who are also doing it. But also, don't put limitations on what you want. You'll find, I think as I did, that if you want something so narrow and you set up for yourself that you'll be disappointed if you don't get that one thing, well, that doesn't help anybody. That's not going to improve your skills. That's not going to help you get better at what you want to get better in the first place. So be open to what the universe shows you and what it, what it gives to you because it's rare that it gives you anything in this industry. So you know, I, I'm lucky in that I had a little bit of musical training going in for this specific um, thing that we're talking about here. But, you know, I have I know friends who want to do one thing and they end up either, you know, being a graphic designer for something. And that's their that's what they're really great at. And that helps them stick out. And another another point I'd make is use the thing that's unique about you to stand out in this field that is very difficult because you have, there are so many people trying to do this kind of thing, it, just entertainment in general, but anything creative. And if you have a specific thing that you can bring that others might not be able to, you got a little bit of a leg up. And I say that as someone who's still looking for what I'm, what my ultimate thing is, and I'm not working for myself yet. I've only been doing this songwriting service for about a month, but I've seen enough now where I've learned a whole lot about what works, what doesn't, and what approaches are effective and what ones aren't. And I learned that the hard way because at one point in my career, I just said, you know what? As long as I'm writing, I'm happy. As long as I'm putting, you know, finger to type and writing words, doesn't matter what the words are or for what, that's a goal that I've, that, that means I've accomplished my goal. And let me tell you, that did not feel the, that way at all when it was happening. I spent three years in digital writing for websites and apps and that kind of thing. And I had a wake up call three years in where I was like, well, this isn't what I want to make. This isn't really what I want to do. And so it was kind of like, 
I guess I was wrong. I guess I was wrong about this being enough and about this being the goal because it's not. And for some people, I'm sure that, you know, that would work. Maybe that is enough. I've seen people be very happy doing any kind of content creation if they set out to be a writer or anything creative. Um, but it's not for everybody. And I, I, you know, hit that point and I was kind of just like, well, I, I want to get back into TV and I don't care if I need to start back at the bottom. And, uh, and I did. And I, you know, I, I went back to, um, a temp job after working for three years as a digital writer producer. I got a mailroom job at uh, Warner Media, and this is all this all kind of ties into to where I'm at now a little bit because I was working there, and that you know just having a positive attitude there for a week long gig led to an extension of that job, led to another consultant job in their PR department, which I always knew was temporary. But while I was there. I said, I want to, um, and stop me if this is getting too off, off track, but I work, my day job now is in animation, which is another thing I'm very passionate about. And I said, you know what, if I'm going to do a day job, I want to help make something that I like. I don't care what I'm doing on it, but I want to help bring something to the world that I'm, that I'm happy, happy with. And um, I talked to everybody at that company because I had access to the directory who worked in animation. and they uh everybody's very willing to talk and that's another point i'd make like talk to a lot talk to anybody you can who's doing what you want to be doing or is in the world you want to be doing because that led to my current job just from talking to people and just being in their heads i got recommended for my current day job um which i love and it's not where i want to be ultimately but it's great and uh, i love the people i love the product that's being made i work on a, a animated fox show and um and through that, everybody knows that I do the songs because it's been a big part of kind of my communication uh, through just finding ways. I, I have to remind everyone of time cards every week at my job, and I always do a different song to remind everybody of time cards. And so it's just something that people look forward to every week, and it's just like, you know, a little dumb, fun thing that I do. But because of that, you know, I'm in people's brains as... Like, this is another thing that I do. Um, That's interesting. So taking on to some yeah. of those points you mentioned there, I think it's amazing that we're hearing your journey because like you're mentioning your steps you've taken, things that have happened, they've happened as a result of you moving in them areas. So anybody listening today, if you're thinking about doing something, try and get on that ladder and slowly as you speak to people in the company, the other people that are working at the job, you'll get your break to get to where you need to be. It's always difficult to get there if you keep procrastinating or thinking about it. But if you can get some action into it and take a few steps to get into that area, like for example, entertainment, animation, it all links into an area that you're working on at the moment. So tell me more about your animation side of things. What do you enjoy the most about that and which bits tie into your creative journey, your end goal? Sure. I have always loved animation and I've recently, for some reason, uh, just become such a student of the different ways the classics were made 
the Warner Brothers, the Disney's, the Fleischers, the MGM's, uh, all those guys. It was just such an, an anarchic um, process. And it kind of formed my sense of humor from a very young age. And to this day, I think it's all brilliant. Um, and I, I think I've always loved animation as an art, but animation as a means of comedy delivery, because the thing about it is a joke can land or not land separated by a drawing or a frame. And I love that. I love the fact that it's that it can be that precise and that when it is that precise, uh, how those who do it well, how difficult that is and how uh, brilliant that that is. And you think about a Roadrunner Coyote cartoon and how musical that is from, you know, a look that a coyote gives before he's about to get crushed by a boulder. You know, that, that to me, that's part of, that's music. You know, that, that is the sort of thing where the rhythm matters. And, uh, you know, I've always drawn since I was very little. Um, I've never pursued it when I was young. My first, my first hope for like what I want to be when I grew up was a cartoonist. But I never stuck with that. I draw, I always drew kind of, uh, uh, recreationally, but I didn't train. I didn't go to art school or anything like that. So, um, to be, uh, around it still and being around those who are just amazing at what they do with, you know, just every aspect of the production from background artists to prop designers to character designers, everybody I work with is just blows my mind. That, that they can do this so well. And, um, oh, oh, sorry, go ahead. Leading back to that, we had an earlier episode in the podcast where we talked about should you make your hobby into a career? And it's interesting you mentioned that animation was something you thought about early on. Would you say animation is a hobby? Well, for me, because I don't animate my, myself, I, I wouldn't say it is. I, I would say it ties into my larger goals because animation as a medium has music in it more often than live action does. And that's something as a writer really appealed to me because when I first moved out here, I was presenting people with pilots I had written that were musical and no one thought it would work. No one could wrap their head around it. You know, that's too expensive. That does. And this was, you know, five, seven years ago. So it wasn't, there weren't the shows like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend or Schmigadoon that exist now where that have proven that, yeah, it can exist if you want it to. But my style of writing already was a little bit animated, already was a little bit heightened. The jokes were a little bit bigger. The jokes, the characters were a little bit wackier. And animation having music anyway just made me go, oh, well, that's easy. I'll write animation now. I'll... I'll write projects that are meant to be animated. And that's what I've done the last couple of years. And, you know, this is the first time the last couple of years I've, I've had scripts finally placed in competitions. I've uh, gotten better feedback than I've gotten on some of my projects. And, you know, I, I, when you're pursuing TV writing, it's all a matter of, you know, right place, right time and who, you know, and all that stuff. But I, you know, I'm around it. And this is the first scripted show I've ever worked on. I, and I, that was a goal forever. When I moved to LA 10 years ago, I thought I was going to show up here and, and work on a scripted show and that would be it. And let me tell you, that did not happen. And that was extremely difficult to figure out how to finagle because everybody wants someone with scripted experience already, or at least they did then. 
So the fact that I got in the door somewhere on a scripted show that was also animated, I feel like now uh, I'm at a place where I'm getting my day-to-day paychecks from something that I, I love top to bottom as a project. And while I'm not creatively involved in it at this point, it's still hugely fulfilling, more so than any other job, because I'm helping something get made that I would want to get made uh, independently of whether I worked on it or not. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, the, the animation thing ties to the music thing. You say you in write, terms of my pursuit of it. You say writing for animation is different than writing for film or TV. It depends on the project, but I think overall, yeah, uh, you're working more with what you, the limits of your animation can hold rather than what's filmable. Okay. It depends on the budget. You know, I, I think something like The Simpsons is, or at least it used to be more like a live action sitcom that happened to be drawn. But if you're writing for something like a SpongeBob or a um, Into the Spider-Verse film, you can, they're, they're working with a bigger, maybe SpongeBob's work with bigger budgets, but uh, the, the imagination gets expanded a little bit for the storytelling. And I love that idea where you're not limited to a living room set and a kitchen set and a, an office set and that's it. And you got to work around those. And there are benefits to being in a box like that and needing to work within those uh, barriers and some brilliance has come out of it, uh, obviously, you know, through Talk. some of the best shows that have ever been made. Talking but, about office, I've recently been watching the office series on the TV. Oh, sure. And I noticed that Brian Bromgardner that plays Kevin, he had a, a podcast set up where he goes and interviews right. each of the people on the show, as well as the cameramen, the writers and everybody. And I was like, wow, yeah. there's a whole new area there. So for example, what you talked about, about writing, they talk about all these little things that you don't notice when you're watching it, but there's been a lot of thought Absolutely. gone into it. So writing is quite a difficult area because you have to think about multi facets of what's going to happen when the show is going to be made, who's going to be speaking it, how they speak the lines. All of this is very tricky. So how do you get your head around when you write something, how it's going to be delivered? Well, um, it's a long, for me, and everyone does it differently, I always start with just a, a bit of a vomit outline. I just jot down the ideas around the script in a notebook, as many as I can. Lines the characters would say, plot points, general arcs of the story. And then break it down from there and organize it a little bit. I take it to a Google Doc. I write down all of the notes I've taken, put them in something of an order, and um, and expand from there. Flesh out the little ideas to the to a more substantial um, chunk of dialogue or scene description, and work out the different character arcs of the main points you want to make in the in the story. If there's an A story, if there's a B story, C story. Because I was going to be an A story, but if there's a, subplots in the episode, um, you just break it down that way. And I don't even open a script file and start writing until I feel good about what I have. Everybody does it differently, but I I like to have a, a good foundation of where the script's going before I start writing it. That's interesting. So it's, um, it's a process. Yeah, it's interesting. Everybody to see, does it differently, though. Seeing the background about how that works, because a lot of people have different ways of doing it. Some people journal for a few days and then come up with an idea, and then they start fleshing it out, like you mentioned. 
Where, where oh, do yeah. you see yourself now? So where you are now in the next three to five years, what's your plan? What's coming up and what have you got coming? Well, one thing I haven't even talked about is that I've been developing a, a full stage musical wow. uh, the last year or so. And um, I just had a, a little live reading of it where I could hear it out loud for the first time and um, get notes from everybody who was in it and everybody who attended. And that's, that was huge. And uh, the last, <laughs> the last draft made quarterfinals of a script competition out here, but they let you submit for the next round, a more recent draft. And I was like, Oh boy, if they like, you know, if they liked the one from like uh, August, uh, hopefully this new one that's more refined, they will like better. So I submitted that. So we'll see what happens there with that. But it was a little bit of positive feedback on it for the first time because it's in its early stages. So right now I'm kind of refining that and working on the songs in it that I think could be better uh, because there are about 19 songs in this thing. And uh, I'm trying to write. I'm trying to write them to be quote unquote good. And that's a, that's a little bit of a trap uh, because when you're trying to write something good, it's not going to be good. You just got to let what comes come and what feels right. So I'm a little bit, I'm, I'm going back and forth with that right now. And hopefully something comes on the last few songs I want to rewrite. But at that point, I I'm going to uh, ideally be workshopping it out here in LA. That's a tough, and, um, tough gig though. See, see what comes from that. When do you know? When oh to yeah. Stop? I mean, <laughs> yeah, no one tells you that, you know, musicals are never done until they're uh, up in front of an audience. And even then, you know, you get rewrites from, from different productions. You get whoever's playing a different character in a different production might change how you look at how a song goes or not, or how a character, uh, how a character's journey unfolds. So it's tough to say where that's going right now. And I don't want to make any, I know better at this point to predict anything, but um, yeah, ideally I'd love to get that on a state on a stage produced this year in some way. And uh, it, I think um, the budget can be pretty low. Fingers crossed. It can be pretty low for this. Show. It's a small cast. What sort of time investment goes into something like that? How long have you been spending on that so far? I started the idea in during lockdown, okay. kind of mid lockdown. And um, so about a year and a half, I would say I've been working on it. And that's that the last musical I worked on, I was working on for six years before I moved on. And, um, you know, back to kind of learning as you go, that was a cast of about 30 that I wrote <laughs> a musical for. Wow. And I was like, oh, it's a big show, big splashy show. They're like, that's, it can only be a cast 30. And everyone I would talk to would just be like, can you get it down to four? And I would be like, no, that's a different show. And so I wrote this show to kind of say, okay, I'm going to do a small cast show. Hopefully get some traction on that. That'll be my first show out the door. And then maybe I can convince people to do the bigger show. But now what's happened is I like the small show a lot more than I liked the big show. So that's become more the pursuit. So how maybe does, the big show will come back. At some point. How does that work then? So once you've wrote for X amount of people, do you then go and pitch that to somebody who then gets the people to do it? Or what's the process of it from your writing to going to an actual show? Well, to rewind a little bit, when I was writing for the Twins show, that led to some other gigs. That led to some wider off-Broadway jobs of getting songwriting assignments. 
I would, um, I wrote for this show, Newsical, which was an off-Broadway show that tackled, it was basically, and in some symmetry I'm only noticing now, it was like a musical version of The Daily Show. They would do songs about what was in the news, and as a result, they needed quick, quick songs. They would call me on a Thursday about a song that needed to be in the show Saturday, and I would do it. I would write it from beginning to end, and that is kind of training me for the this songwriting business I have now. Quick turnaround, quality product, and it's up in front of a paying, paying audience in less than 48 hours. So as a result, I got to know more people through that. I've uh, other songwriters, and this is back to, you know, meet people who are doing the same thing you're doing. Other songwriters who were more established than me kind of gleaned onto my stuff and liked it and liked um, what I was doing because I was doing more of a comedy songwriting thing. And, but it's, it, it was always rare to me to have a comedy song where the song was the priority. Cause a lot of the times in, in comedy music, at least in my experience, your weird else notwithstanding, he's brilliant. He's, he's doing his own thing. But a lot of people think you can just, you know, put some funny, silly lyrics to a few chords and then you're done. And the fact that it's sung is funny in and of itself. And myself included, I would do that, you know, when I was first starting out and, you know, it would work, but it felt kind of cheap because it was like you were cheating. If you're doing a stand-up gig and you're doing songs, which I was doing, there are no pauses for laughter or not. So you don't have awkward silences, but that's getting off track. Back back to um, the process, I would just ask people I knew in uh, this industry, in theater, let them know what I had, tell them what the show was, and then see if they knew people who I should be talking to, producers, um, directors, anybody who they think would have an interest in this. And, um, you know, sure enough, I've, I've uh, had some really great consultants and really great contacts working with me on this thing. And it's obviously in very early stages, but, um, you know, I've gotten some great guidance and I've got some people who have really good resumes under their belt and who work in theater who like the show. And whether or not they'll be working on it in the future is, is a whole different thing, but just their support alone is, is huge. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. I'm not shy about the fact that I have it and that I'm still working on it, but, uh, I'm kind of on a singular pursuit of like, if, if no theater wants to produce it, I'll find a way to do it myself just to get people seeing it. Because that's all I've done throughout my career. And, you know, you get to take the bull by the horns a little bit. Does it have to be on a stage or could you do it as a film release, like more of a film with characters? Or... I thought about it. You sure could. I mean, I would have to rewrite aspects of it, but the story could work. Yeah. Oh, so when you write um, for it, do you write specifically for stage? Then that can't be used on video. The way I approach a stage show is definitely different from how I approach a screenplay. Oh, wow. In terms of the way scenes are constructed, okay. constructed, for instance, um, there are about 12 scenes in the musical, whereas a film, you'd have dozens, you know. Uh, characters have interactions in real time, more likely in a musical than they would on screen. And characters breaking into song just sort of is a little bit more accepted on stage than it is on screen in general, because unless you're watching, a, is a, is watching a, a Bollywood movie, then it's fine. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. That's ultimately it needs to be a Bollywood yeah. movie. I think that's where this is all leading. Oh, I would love that. My God. Um, yeah. Uh, so I think that's just the general gist of of that different approach. Just inherently, I'm writing an opening number for a show. I don't think I'm not adding camera angles. I'm not adding enough uh, direction of what we're seeing on screen because it's kind of like, oh, well, the director will decide where they're moving and who's coming, you know, besides entrances and exits and that sort of thing. Uh, it's a lot more lyric and dialogue based than it is action based if you're writing a musical or a stage play. So if I was to ask you our question again from the starting to see if uh, your answer changes now after we've had the discussion, can we succeed in the yeah. creative field? I would say yes, but maybe not in the way you you set out to at the outset. And I say this as, uh, to you as someone who I, I don't think I've succeeded yet. I think I'm still working on that. It depends on your definition though, right? I mean, the fact that I'm paying my bills and relatively happy with my day-to-day working in an industry I want to be working on while also creatively fulfilled from the songwriting business I'm starting. Yeah, you could say, I, I guess I could say I've succeeded in that way. Are and you, that's not to say the goals have been met. Are but, you happy? You know, yeah. Yes. You've succeeded. No then. question. You've succeeded. <laughs> if there you go. If you're happy, See, this is therapeutic. Yeah. I'm glad we're having this talk. That's it. So I yeah. think what we will do is we'll do a little bit of a review on things you mentioned and i'll have a little bit of a look at what you're doing at the moment because you are on social media so we will share that in the show notes yeah so audience can get in touch uh, we've got your fiverr page where people can reach out if they want to get something made from you yeah. is that ultimately where you're going at the moment for the online section apart from your musical and your writing yeah um that is what's getting most of my attention these days for sure um but that is also you know that's not necessarily where uh, if you want to follow me, you know, go to uh, my Twitter, which is the same as my Fiverr. I'm Hedge Tunes on everything. And um, but if you want, yeah, if you want a song, Fiverr's the way to go uh, for me. I'm building that up. The more customers on there, the better. You know, they they boost you. The more the people are using you, um, and the better reviews you get. It's kind of funny. The first customer I got was my aunt, uh, who wanted me to do a song for her. Uh, my uncle who was retiring and I did it, you know, I gave her a little, I gave her a longer song than she asked for. Uh, I, I followed the instructions and the final review score was 4.3. Oh, and I was like, wait, what? Oh. What did I do wrong? And you, you know, you don't get yes. into an Uber if the car, if the driver has yes. a 4.3. So thankfully that's gone up since, but I just, yeah. thought, I thought that was a very funny thing. Yeah. It's, it can be um, difficult. Yeah. So the Cause I've got an Etsy shop and no matter what you do, there oh, will yeah. always be one out of 10 customers that just don't feel like they can give you five uh-huh. stars. So you always get that. So I think some people feel that, I don't know for what reason, they've got everything they wanted and more, but it can be difficult. They just don't yeah. feel like giving five stars. But I think that's the way of the world. But as you get more people using it, hopefully Absolutely. that builds you up and then it makes up for that slight difference. But it's difficult to please yeah. everybody. Yeah. 
Right. Well, the fact that it was a relative uh, is the funniest thing to me. <laughs> Everyone else, yeah, yeah, five stars. Everyone's happy, you know, but uh, yeah, it's just how it goes, I guess. Yeah. yeah Room well, for improvement. I'd definitely like to say thank you very much for joining me today, Mike. It's been amazing talking to you yeah, and thanks for having sharing me. your information. Yeah. Uh, you will see more information about Mike in the, the show notes and you can check out more on softalks.com. We'll see you on the next episode. I appreciate you listening to this episode. It will be really good if you can leave a review wherever you're listening to this. The show resources are available at zolftalks.com. You can also sign up to the mailing list there, which will allow you to get information to help you on your journey working for yourself. Working for yourself. I know you love it. Working for yourself. Because I love it too. Working for yourself. Soft talks about it, making it easy for you. Working for yourself, go be your own boss. Working for yourself, so we'll help you along. Working for yourself, powered by trusted creators. Softtalks.com.